Hello, I'm Michael Brodeur, and welcome to Leaders Alliance. We are a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are passionate about helping you become the world-changing leader that God created you to be. Join the conversation. Well, welcome back again for another episode of the uh, Leaders Alliance podcast. We're so Hi, glad everybody. you're with us. And uh, we have some great guests we're going to be presenting to you in just a few minutes. But before we do, we want to just say hello, share a little bit about who we are. Yeah, come on. Yeah, we're building a, a, a network, you guys, of believers all over the world, um, in the church and, and outside the church. Um, we have an entrepreneurial vision, which I'm leading out with because our guests today are talking about leading underprivileged people into entrepreneurial success. And that um, what they're going to be sharing so mirrors what we want to accomplish within Leaders Alliance. We want the 98% uh, of people that um, find their lives and living outside the walls of the church to be empowered, um, to be dreaming about what they could be and what they could do to make the world a better place. So you're going to so enjoy them today. That's so good. Yeah, Leaders Alliance is a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are focused on actually fulfilling the Great Commission. We want to see the kingdom of God come to earth in a powerful, dynamic way. Jesus said to each one of us that we are called to be salt and light in the earth. In fact, in uh, the first chapter of Revelation, he says that, he saved us so that we would be priests and kings to our God. Mm -hmm. In other words, every single believer is called to full-time ministry, regardless of where you, where you make your money. Okay. And as Diane said a moment ago, only about 2% will ever make their money behind a pulpit, you know, leading a church. But the majority of believers, every other 98% of all believers are still called to be world changers. We're still called to affect the planet and to transform our cities and our nations to be more and more aligned with Jesus. So this is really the hope of Leaders Alliance is to create a partnership between church leaders, marketplace leaders of all kinds, people in education, medicine, business, and so forth, to bring those two things together so that we ultimately create a cross-pollinated, uh, full expression of the body of Christ on earth. So we're grateful to have you with us to listening to this broadcast. And we're going to go ahead and introduce our guests in just a moment. Diane, do you want to kind of take first shot at it? And I'll, I'll, I'll Go ahead and and then follow yeah, up. Yeah, I mean they're going to be able to tell their own story today, which is so exciting. But but they are just normal people that got inspired by God, and God began to open up doors within their own lives, within the people around them, and within their city, which is Flint, Michigan, and um, they have made a difference. You guys, like they are, they're batting a. They're batting a hundred, batting a thousand, thousand batting yeah. a thousand, yeah. as the saying goes. Excellent. Well, you know, so it's Adrian Montague and James Shuttleworth, and they've partnered together to actually bring about a transformation in the city of Flint, Michigan. Flint is one of the most challenged cities in the nation. In fact, yeah. I guess uh, 10 years ago, it was, it was the most violent, number one. Now it's been down to seven, and I think partly because of the mobilization that these guys are doing within this amazing nonprofit called Flint Soup. And mm -hmm. so uh, could you guys come on, and we're going we're gonna to introduce you. Adrian and James, uh, we're so happy that you guys are joining us. And uh, with names like Montague and Shuttleworth, 
It's just like you could be a law firm or you could be a romance novel. You know, it's like it could exactly. go either way. Exactly. <laughs> No, we're so happy to have you on. And yeah. why don't we begin by just hearing a little like bite size of sort of your background, your history, just who are you? And uh, and Adrian, why don't you start out? Adrian's the director and founder of of, of uh, Flint Soup, but James is her colleague, co worker. You know, they, they're a partnership in this process now. So, Adrian, why don't you lead off and then uh, just give us a short little review of who you are, how you ended up kind of doing what you're doing. And then James will ask the same for you. Sure. Hi. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, my name is Adrian Montague. I'm the director of Flint Soup, and uh, we microfund small business and startups in our our community through a, a a soup dinner, where residents come and they bring five dollars to participate and be actively involved in the ideas and people that are all around them, um, and listen to four or five pre-selected individuals who are changing the fabric of our community. Um, which I'm very excited. And we do this all around breaking bread and, and having dinner with one another. At the end of the meal, uh, everybody, like I said, is an active participant. So each person has a vote for the person, the idea or business that they connect with. And we count up all the votes and the person with the most votes gets every single dollar collected at the door. So we see residents funding residents to pursue um, their, their destinies and their calling within their community to shape and mold uh, the future of our city. Um, you know, going back, like who I am, you know, I am a Michigander. I was born in Flint myself, uh, raised in the suburbs uh, at a very young age. Um, I have to give a little bit of a backstory, right? It's like why my name is Adrian. It really ties into really the work that we're doing currently. And one story that I, I really don't share, I think, enough, but um, my family named me Adrian after one of my cousins and my cousins, her name was Laura Haviland and her and her husband started the first underground railroad in the state of Michigan. Awesome. Yeah. And so she did the majority of her work in Adrian. So growing up as a little girl, I knew all about the family history and the stories of, you know, a generational impact in serving communities, especially the underserved. And that perspective has really changed like how I view leadership and just my role. It's like I knew what God was doing at a very young age within family. Um, and so with her work and her husband, they developed the, um, the Raisin Institute. And it was the first integrated school between boys and girls in the state, but then the first integrated school between blacks and whites in the nation. Wow. She had the highest bounty on her head. And she personally helped herself uh, 200, uh, over 200,000 uh, slaves to freedom during her lifetime. Yeah. Incredible. Most of her work was Sojourner Truth and Frederick Douglass. Um, and but she also understood the component of business as well. So one of the key things that I learned growing up is you not 
in order to be free in a society, you not only have to be free, but you have to also participate in the economy. And so during that time, um, there was an outbreak that happened. Her husband died and a couple of her children passed away. She couldn't sell her house. So she actually demoed it and then sold the land. And Haviland, Kansas is where she bought up a lot of property. It was renamed after her, after I believe after her death. Um, but she, she gave... Um, recently freed people and families 25 acres to be able to be participants wow. so growing up it's like okay what is god doing and what is our part you know what is my part it being the next generation because this is like the third or fourth generation since that god has been doing or actually more than that at this point um doing things like that and so I took up the mantle of being a, a part of the economic freedom and flourishing of my community with food soup, just gathering people together. Wow, that's so, so good. What a special story. That's rare in all the earth, even that you know your heritage and can walk in that. So good. Well, J J James, why don't you get, share with us a little bit about your background and how you got involved here? Yes. So I... Um, I'm also a native Michigander. Um, I was born in Detroit, but I grew up in a more uh, northern rural rural Michigan. So um, very classic Midwestern uh, upbringing. I was homeschooled. Uh, my father owned his own business. Uh, I come from, I don't come from a line of, uh, of people like Adrian. My, uh, I come from Irish immigrants and, and German immigrants. We, we either worked, worked the land and the farm or we were teachers. Um, I was the mm. first, uh, re, um, probably first generation of ministers that, um, that came out of my family. And yeah, I, I spent some time as a missionary for five years, um, working throughout the world as a non-residential missionary. As we did the, the, the gospel crusade and we did the the work where we got to see the glory of God fall fall in the areas we went but what we really did was international community health and development that's what I studied wow. so we did um, I ran medical clinics and we started orphanages and we we built we dug wells usually with our bare hands um, wow. and so that's yeah that was kind of the, the history of, of where I came from when I when I met Adrian um, I had come home and the only thing I knew how to do was drive an ambulance. So I was working as a paramedic in Flint and we, we met on a prayer walk and I, I met this woman named Adrian who invited me on this incredible journey and it's still going. Wow. That's so good. Well, Adrian, why don't you give us a, a, a bit of the history? How did you and, and, and then James coming in, how did you guys begin to envision this transformational a movement called Flint Soup. Sure. Uh, so I was in the middle of a career change and I had some free time and, you know, I was getting out of the political realm um, because I used to do national campaigns for presidential elections. And, be, it, and it started because I thought that change happened at the highest level. And quickly I realized that actually change happens in the grassroots. So as soon as I realized that, I said, oh, I have to reconfigure. Um, my plan was to be a lobbyist on Capitol Hill um, or becoming a constitutional law attorney, which I'm so glad that didn't happen because I so enjoy and love the work that we do today. Um, 
And so like I had this time on my hands and I was like, God, what would you like me to do? And I stumbled across this blog uh, by Detroit Moxie. And it was like, it was her 40th birthday and it was titled like 40 things to do um, before you die in Detroit. And I was like, this is very interesting. <laughs> Let me take a look at that article and see what was on there. So I just started checking things off the list. I've always loved history, especially Michigan history uh, and post-industrial cities. And so um, on the list was Detroit Soup. And I started poking around and I started hearing rumblings in the neighborhoods about residents getting together around arts, social justice issues, and um, meeting up when when I joined, it was uh, above, it was the loft above the Mexican Town Bakery. I believe it was Jessica Hernandez's um, family that owned it. And so I get to this room with residents and for we were all sitting on the floor and the tables were actually doors that had been taken down, resting on milk crates. <laughs> Candles on the table, um, very bohemian look to it. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I love it. <laughs> you know? And I was like, I think these are my people. And so for the next uh, two years, I was driving down to Detroit two or three times a week. Wow. Um, just being in the neighborhoods, like getting my hands dirty, building buildings, didn't even know what I was doing, but I was being taught how to do it because I knew shortly that what happens in Detroit happens in my community. There's about a five or six year lag, but I thought if there are rumblings in the neighborhoods about economic development and entrepreneurship, I want to be on the ground level and understand how ecosystems are built. So I took a lot of time to learn how to do that. Over time, um, I saw some of the projects not being as sustainable um, because they were one-time projects. And I thought, well, if we could adopt this model that they adopted from a place in Chicago, what would that look like? You know, how could I inject this kind of thinking in my community in a kingdom way? And then knowing the structure of our own community, I realized that there were, I believe, more nonprofits than, than for-profit businesses. Flint was known as a, as a place that transformed the world because of GM and the cars, the car industry. Yeah. We used to export a lot and we hadn't done that in very long. And I also knew that the residents were communicating three different things. They have ideas. They don't know where to begin. Um, they don't have a, a network outside of family and friends. And they're really disconnected from the resources. So where, where are they and how can we help locate them? And I thought the soup model would actually work around this idea. <laughs> so, but I don't know anything about business. You know, this is what my thought was, but I was like, but I've seen how it works and we're really good at connecting with people. So it's like, I know the Lord's going to provide. And so we like on a whim, oh, at the tail end of a political election, you know, when we're working 20 hour days, we hosted our first split soup. And I brought in all the staffers to take pictures and all this other stuff. And, um, and, that's, and that's how we launched. 
Wow, um, that's such an amazing story. So I, I love the fact that you were able to go to somebody doing something similar and be with them for a season of training. I mean, that's one of the things mm -hmm. in Destiny Finder that we recommend for people is that if you have a dream, you have a vision, one of the best ways you can pursue that vision is by taking a little bit of time and being with others who are already pursuing a similar vision. And so, gosh, how did you finally just get the the courage to just launch out like what was that like and and what were the first steps of that launch like yeah i i got to a point where i was thinking it thinking about it all the time i was thinking about it more than what i was doing walking around the city it, the thought just consumed me you know and i couldn't just shake it sometimes you get an idea and you're like ah it will it will stay with you for one or two weeks but this one this one like clung on and they're like i'm not leaving you so like i i was like oh man uh and i had gone back to college i actually dropped out um because i wanted to just get into the working world but i had gone back and i needed to take a humanities class so I decided to take a playwriting course. I knew nothing about playwriting. I had never written a play in my life. But in that class, my professor, his name's Andy Morton, he, uh, I saw him at one of the events and I said, hey, you're, you're a Detroit super too? And I told him about my idea about Flint Soup. And he shared, he said, hey, he's like, there's the Share Art Flint grant um, funded through the Greater Flint's Arts Council, funded by the Ruth Mott Foundation. And they're funding some arts projects. He's like, I think you should apply. I said, I know nothing about writing a grant. He's like, that's okay. He's like, I, I can help. And I was like, I prayed about it. And I was like, you know what? It's a one pager. I can do this. You know, I, I simply put something together. I said that the soup dinner was the tapestry of the community and that we were going to be demonstrating the ideas of, of our surroundings. And 73 people had applied there and 13, I believe 13 or 14 were, were awarded the grant. I was one of those people. It was actually really funny. They said, I have no idea what you wrote, but it sounds really cool. So, <laughs> and then I said, awesome, let's do it, you know? It so, doesn't surprise um, me that you were in that class because you're, you're a superb mm -hmm. storyteller. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so here I was uh, with enough funding to host two two soup events, wow. and um, and I didn't really know a lot of the entrepreneurs at that time, and I didn't have a location, and so I humbly went to a local business owner and I said, "Hey, I see that you close after or at five p.m." what do you do with this space after hours? And so we got into a conversation and she said, um, yeah, you can host your first soup event here. I said, great. I won't provide any of the pop or, or juice and we'll have people, you know, be able to sew back into your business. So the first event, there was probably like 20 people. Um, I was shaking like a leaf. I still don't like public speaking very much. I still get like nervous and anxious, but um, like there were four people like sharing their heart on what they're seeing in the community. The person who won was a, a, a local mom uh, who the arts programs had been cut from the local school district. And she said, I've been going in with my own resources, providing art class, because that is very foundational for young people. And the community was like, yes, this is amazing. And so she was our, our, our first uh, Flint soup. After the second soup, we had to really decide, 
Like what, what does this look like? We have no money. We don't have any spaces. I was like, the only thing we have is prayer. So we're going to pray. And so we prayed and the Lord simply told us that he was our provider and, and, and to believe him for provision. So that's exactly what we did for the next four years. And, um, and it was just amazing because people would hear about Flint Soup and they'd want to sew into the ministry or checks would arrive in the mail at the perfect time, you wow. know, and over four years, we had hosted 16 soups. That's now, incredible. Yeah. And at, the soup, at the soup, you have like several different candidates share about their vision or their dream for launching some kind of either a business or an entrepreneurial expression of some kind. And then you award them a cash prize at the end that's voted on by everybody in the group, correct? Correct. Yeah. So what's that like? I mean, that's that. So because us a initially you got the funding from your grant for the first two. Yeah. And then after that, as far as I understand, you try to invite a lot of people. They pay $5 or so. And then all of that money goes towards the person. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, and, and is it usually enough of a seed for them to start something? Yeah, it's it's enough to get the next piece of licensing, whether it be like a nutritional label or a piece of equipment or extra inventory uh, to get some cash flow. Yeah. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. And James, how did you kind of, at what point in this process did you engage and start working with uh, Adrian on this project? So I, I was I was invited right right from the beginning. Um, as Adrian and I were on that that prayer walk where we met, uh, we were just excitedly telling each other kind of about our own hopes and dreams for for Flint and what we'd been praying into the city. I think we were actually so excited we we may have forgotten to pray actually. But um, <laughs> she was sharing about how she wanted to help the city, and I was sharing about my past and how I wanted to be able to kind of use the experience that I had working overseas, doing the same thing in Flint, and. Um, I must have given her number because a couple months later, uh, I get this phone call and she says, hey, I'm, I'm Adrian. Um, I'm the, the soup person. You said you know how to make soup. Um, like, I, I'm doing that thing we talked about. I'm doing it. Can you make some soup for me? And I'm like, I can. Yes, I can make soup. And then I hung up and I called my mom and I said, mom, how do I make soup? <laughs> and so I brought my mom's chicken and rice soup and I show up at, um, yeah, I show up at the the event and you know one of my other friends is there she must have called him too he's got a, a crock pot of soup and we're like what is this about what are we doing and he's like i think i need five dollars you have five dollars i'm like yeah i got okay yeah here we go and we sat and we watched this and i'm like this i want to be part of this this is so amazing look at this and and that's kind of how how i kind of got in on it i just adrian kept calling me and saying hey i need some soup i need some soup and <laughs> i was still working as a paramedic so oftentimes um I was like rolling up in an ambulance with my crock pot of soup that I just pulled out of the the, uh, the EMS lounge, like hot, 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 $5, <laughs> good luck winner. And then I'm like, I got to call him back. And like, that's how it began with me. And I started bringing soup. And then I noticed that people weren't really um, sticking around after to, to kind of break down. And then I started making friends and Adrian started inviting me to be more and more engaged. And then one day she said, uh, you know what? Yeah, I've finally been kind of hearing from the Lord. It's kind of time to take this to the next level. I need a co-founder. I need somebody um, who can actually write. Um, can you write a grant? I hear you're a writer. And I'm like, uh, 
give me a couple weeks and I can pull a grant together for you. And wow. I pulled together a grant and I said, how much do you want? And she's like, how much do you want? Put down a number and, and I'll hire you and we'll, we'll, we'll do this together. And, wow. and we've been going like that ever since. And we went from being, yeah, a really, uh, we're still grassroots, but like grassroots, 15, 30 people in a, in the back of a restaurant, maybe raising a hundred dollars. Um, now it's been, this year will be 10 years. And we, when we were doing it live, we were getting a uh, hundred people, 112 people. And the last, the last micro grant that we were able to award was over $3,000 to a single individual. So to see how the Lord was able to grow that just from bringing in crock pots of soup and hearing the hearts of the individuals in, in our area. Um, yes. It's been amazing. Yes. Well, when we're, when we're able to serve, in some capacity, it makes us come alive. And I and I really mm -hmm. know that God put that in our hearts so that we would make a difference in the world. So much of, um, of the world is consumed with um, knowledge. We're always gaining knowledge. We're reading books. We're hearing this. We're doing that. But people have this vacuum of being needed, being wanted, of helping, of making a difference. And I and I I feel like what you're offering on so many levels is a felt need across the whole world. Yes. Mm -hmm. No, I think that mutual support dynamic too, that you're engaging people to be part of the solution for one another is such a powerful thing. Mm -hmm. So tell us like that at a certain point you guys were able to actually raise enough money to make this your full-time job and to do this on a, on a more consistent level. Tell us about that transition and how has the ministry grown since then? <laughs> sure. Mm. No, that was, that's a super uh, like God story because the second year um, people started to say like, you should approach our local funders, the largest, one of the largest family foundation in the, in the world, the CS Mott Foundation. And they had actually heard about our event and they had shown up with their own $5, which is amazing. Oh, amazing. And so they, they wanted to know how they could help. And for three years, they asked how they can help. But every time we would pray, the Lord would say, this isn't the year. Just trust me for provision. Even though they were offering their provision, the Lord said, okay. trust me, trust me with it. And we said, okay. And so we would just simply tell them, we prayed about it again and the Lord said, nope, not this year. So we're trusting him with provision. I'll see you next year, you know, keep wow. on coming to our events. And the one thing that I didn't realize, like in hindsight that I saw, I see it, um, was that the Lord wanted us to step into other opportunities during that time because we were both working at different jobs. Um, James was increasing his skill up into a critical care paramedic. I had worked for uh, one of the larger institutions, Kettering University. I had also uh, landed a position to be the outreach coordinator, to helping to develop the master plan for the city of Flint, casting the vision for the next 50 to 100 years. Oh, <laughs> Working with, yeah, really, really amazing. That's a total another God story. And then also working for a firm, the Flint Area Reinvestment Office, connecting federal and state uh, resources for economic development. If I would have taken that funding at that time, I would have never been afforded those experiences or the relationships that I would have had. 
uh, during that period, which was so critical to the development of our, our organization and um, the support supportive ecosystem um, that, that we operate in today. Wow, that's so incredible. And so finally, you did apply as a grant, I guess, for the Mott Foundation. And how did yeah. that come to pass? Yeah, they said, this is the year, you know? <laughs> They said we don't we're want hard, you to work for anything else. Away yeah. <laughs> yeah, they said this is the year. This is oh, the year. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and then, and, no, go ahead. Oh, yep. So they said we want you to focus on this full time. Um, and we were to the point where we we just couldn't juggle uh, because the of course there were so un, like so many more entrepreneurs. To, to be served. So, and uh, I believe, was it 2017? Yeah, 2017, uh, we stepped into it full time, full That's time. So mm -hmm. That's so good. And James, you shared a little bit in our members gathering about just how the ministry has grown. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I guess I call it a ministry, but it's really a, an official nonprofit organization. But um, tell us how it's kind of developed and, and what some of the stats are. Yes. So we, uh, aside from the operating expenses that we, we have, we're, we're essentially given between $5,000 to $7,000 a year to really, to really do the event and do the, the, the work that kind of revolves around the building of the community that we do. And so with that five to $9,000, we're able to host the events, um, do the outreach that we need to do, and bring the bring in the community so that they can invest their five dollars in the entrepreneur and and through those five dollars investments we're able to to raise between somewhere between nine thousand some years sixteen thousand uh in in later years and just in the five dollar bills off straight from the community wow. there's some grant matches that go in that's that. a lot of and, soup <laughs> that is a lot of soup yeah <laughs> so much Soup. And yeah, we have to have a good. If we ever have time for, it, we have a funny story about the soup. But um, from yeah, so even from that nine thousand or that sixteen thousand that the community itself is able to invest into their into their entrepreneurs, as we track our results throughout the year, um, the, we see that I mean even in twenty twenty we realized we had crossed the the one million dollar uh, economic impact. Point. So, so from this from this amount of money being put in by the community, the the impact that it's had is over a million dollars, um, and this is through revenue generated, through sales, through um, capital campaigns of their own, through being able to go and secure small business loans or secure uh, maybe win at at a larger pitch competition. And uh, we looked last year, and just last year alone, we were able to do eight hundred and twenty eight thousand dollars in economic impact. So yes. the Lord has just been compounding and compounding and just building up the the impact that the community has been able to have on its own residents. It's it's incredibly yeah. humbling. Yeah. It's and that's with just, oh I'm so sorry. Yeah. It, and that's just with 34% reporting yes. out. So we know that number is a lot larger than what? what's being reported. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, give us a, a couple of pictures, like maybe uh, a few of the individuals that you guys have empowered and what's happened as a result of that empowerment that you guys have been able to bring bring to pass. Sure. Yeah. So um, I love sharing the story about his, his name's Keyshawn Wade. Um, he was one of our youth soup. So we have uh, an adult soup, but we also have a youth soup because we love um, serving the next generation in tangible ways. And it, it was actually our least attended soup. 
Um, so we hosted a soup at Southwestern Classical Academy. And out of seven youth pitches, there two showed up, you know, and it was Kishan, his brother, and two friends, and uh, an another young entrepreneur. And Kishan's group actually created the pitch the night before. And so what mm -hmm. he had said is, I want to create a socially conscious lawn care company. And he actually won won the funds that night. I was actually running around the building to the different organizations. I was like, what are you doing? You're joining us tonight. I don't care what your plans are. You need to you know, support these youth here. And, um, and so what we found out was that he wanted to mow lawns because of, there's so much blight in the city of Flint. And he said, well, that's the least we can do. He's like, we can get together a, a lawnmower and some shears to clip bushes and take care of the neighborhoods that we love. Um, and I think a week or two weeks into it, he contacts us and he says, I, I need to return this money because my brother and my friends don't see me as a leader. Um, and, and this was such a terrible idea. And so we saw that as a teachable moment. And we said, Keyshawn, let's take you out to lunch and let's actually unpack what actually happened. And let's hear your thoughts on the matter. That one lunch turned into several lunches. And what we had come to find, find out and what we, put, we were able to put words to is that he had a heart for economic development within the neighborhoods, doing incremental development through small structures and restructuring infrastructure around the community which really tied into the work that I was doing previously. So those connections were easily made. Um, and so we just were able to pour into him as, as a young leader, got to be student government president as well in his school, starting making changes, saving a baccalaureate program, you know, presenting in front of the Flint School Board, which is a very big deal. Um, and two years into it, I mean, we, we really invested uh, a lot of time for two years just seeing him um, go through the rest of his high school career. And um, at, one of the, at one of the lunches, I clearly remember him saying, I said, what, are you, what, are you, what would you love to do? And he's like, oh, man, I'd love to go into Ivy League school. And, uh, and then he, but he said, but, and I said, but what? You know, he's like, but I'm just a kid from Flint. And I'm like, what does that mean? Who told you that? You know, and um, and so he went on to say, oh, well, I don't he, he didn't think that he could do it. And I said, well, get your grades up, start doing community engagement and I'll teach you how to serve. You know, and that's exactly what he did a few months uh, from that time. Uh, when we had that conversation, he was actually nominated for the Yale Bassett Community Engagement Award through Yale Whoa. University. Yeah, there was 972, um, I think it was juniors at that time, juniors and seniors, I believe, um, nominated across the U.S. They had 15 awards. And so what had happened was he, he said, oh, man, he's like, I, if this is all I get, I am satisfied. And I was like, no way. We're going all the way. We're waiting for that, that, that let, award letter to come in the mail. And we had gotten notified before him that he was one of the 15. I was like dying inside. Wow. I was like, I can't wait. You know, and um, it was beautiful. He was just so overwhelmed that he'd be highlighted with some of the best and brightest you know, um, in his, in the class, in his class. Okay. And, um, 
And so on his 18th birthday, September 28th, uh, we were able to go with him to Yale University to watch him be honored, which is amazing because we're birthday twins. We share a birthday. So it was <laughs> the best birthday for me wow. and him. Um, um, there's stories like that over and over and over. Like mm -hmm. in the community. And he got a full ride to Cornell University and he's majoring in economic development with the hopes of coming back to a city to continue the work in a professional way. Wow. Wow. What an that, incredible story. I mean, story. that's the dream. That's the yeah. book right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, the, the, I mean, you know, you think one person, but then the ripple effect of their life mm -hmm. is yeah. going to be massive throughout history. It's like, you know, you're changing history one person at a time and, and the inf in impact and effect is just going to be felt throughout the nations and about the, uh, around the world. Yeah. So proud of you. One of, one of the things that you mentioned in our Leaders Alliance group is that you don't just find people and give them money. You actually... Yeah. Mm -hmm provide background education and support. Obviously, it sounds like this kid um, needed special relationship, but you give relationship and access to information and help. Maybe you could unpack that a little bit about what you do there. Yeah, James, if you wanted to take that question. Yeah, where, where would you like me to start with that particular question? Because we have such well, a what, huge what, range what, what, of... You meet you meet someone. I mean, this guy you met a kid. I I'd love to know. Well, what what's the average socioeconomic background of these people? Um, how how do you help them? Obviously, they come and make a pitch. So, do they get help even in that? Or once they describe what they need and they get the money, how do you help them implement their ideas? Yes. So the like Adrian said, the first thing we realized was that money was not just the was not the thing that they needed the most. Um, when it was just early on, and we weren't tracking and we weren't looking at at, at the results the way we are now, the mm -hmm. the small amount of money would would have worked. But now um, we have been given the responsibility and we've been given the the authority to speak into their lives and to be able to really help them grow. So now we really had to step up our game. Um, uh, it's Flint, so in in the surrounding area. So it is uh, it is is an urban population. Um, definitely, many 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 people fall below that that poverty line, and not just below the poverty line, but it's generationally they've been below this poverty yes. line, and um, and they're very aware of that, and they're very aware that they have an idea and they want to try to be able to get out of that. Um, and we become so many times that first place, um, that first. Uh, platform for them to, to really let their voice be heard. And so, yes, so when, when we meet someone, we, we began meeting with them even before we would accept them to the stage. We, we did accept a few people to the soup stage without meeting them first. And we were like, I think we might need to have a couple more protocols here that we should meet some people first before we let that happen. So um, we'd meet with them first. And for some people, um, it might be a week in advance. It was usually between three to four months in advance just to hear their heart, to hear what it is they're trying to trying to do, what it is. I mean, in, in our minds, in our hearts, we're thinking, what is it that God is trying to do through them and with yeah. them? Like they might not be expressing that themselves. They might not even be believers. We know, like, how is God like really um, trying to bring impact to this person? And we help them. We help them step into that and we help create a pathway for that. And that simply might be a 
um, weekly conversations. It could be on the phone. Um, we we make ourselves available um, even to the late hours of the night. It's it's not unusual to get a call long after work has has ended. Um, if you are an early stage startup entrepreneur, you're definitely working a part time job. Uh, the kids have to be put down. You have to make the lunch. You got to put out the garbage and 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock in the, in the, in the <laughs> evening come along and it's like now I can actually sit down and talk to somebody. So to be wow. able, so we, we offer that and we, we do that. Um, and it might be an introduction uh, as we begin speaking with them and hearing more um, and start to see their growth. Say, hey, you know what? I think it might be time for an introduction to um, the maker space in the area. You, you are a creator. You want to do some small scale manufacturing. We have a maker space. Let's do a tour. Or, oh, you, um, yeah, you, you need to talk to, to an expert. Perhaps they understand financial projections or perhaps, you know what, we know um, we are connected to the Small Business mm -hmm. Development Center or we know um, somebody who can, uh, can speak to that. And so it, it all culminates um, and they're, they're, they feel they're finally ready and they, they take the stage. And so when they're speaking to their community now, um, they've actually already met the people that are probably in that room with them. And now they're not just saying, Hey, I have an idea and, and I don't, I'm not really surrounded by people that could support me right now. I don't have the network. I don't know the resources. They take the stage, they, they take the mic. And these are people now who are confident. They have already been connected to a network now. Um, they've wow. probably even maybe tested out their product or tested out their service. And, um, and it has made, it has made all, all the difference. Yes. Wow. I mean, you're and really talking about the golden people. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's 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 not easy. Um, at times, some some make it easier than others. But um, it's, you know what? God, God is God is in that in yeah. that too. Um, and he's we've gotten to be able to sh he's gotten to show up in in ways that um. I don't think anybody would have would have expected and had it not been as as a challenge as it was for some people maybe um they wouldn't have been able to experience the lord in the way that they did so yeah that's so good wow thanks for all that clarity too just about the the role you have of both mentoring and connecting people to the resources they need mm -hmm. that may not be in your realm of expertise i mean i think that's an awesome you know mm -hmm. uh service you're providing for people. Let me just ask you this though, where do you see this going? Okay, if you looked into the future five years, 10 years, what do you believe the Lord is going to be doing in this coming season? Yeah, we're seeing more and more people like around the nation and even overseas saying, how can we impact our community in tangible ways? How do we develop, you know, um, solutions to the challenges that our cities and towns and you know even our neighborhoods face um, and activating that human capital and instead of letting it lay dormant and um, we see lord opening up a lot of different doors like even in this past season uh, james and i were just talking about how the Lord put on our heart to create this cohort during covid because people couldn't meet together and it was after a season of significant health challenges for, for myself. So I had a lot of downtime. And uh, 
one thing that we realized is that this this challenge is faced by many organizations, even our federal government. And during COVID, the the Lord really opened up that door to to start um, entering into contracts with the state of Michigan. Uh, because they love the entrepreneurs and the community and culture that were coming out of Flint Soup. They said, we are, we always know Flint Soup entrepreneurs even before they, they say they're a part of your community because we definitely have a culture to us, you know, in, in, in our city. And so um, we went from, you know, just being in Genesee County and we counted actually this morning, right before the call, that we're actually uh, in about 36 counties in Michigan. And that was within a year's time, which is exponential acceleration, you know. Um, and it, it, we're looking to cover the whole entire state uh, with, with programming and teaching communities how to connect entrepreneurs and how to connect people to one another. Um, that's one of the biggest things. It's like, how do we create cultures that are productive and flourishing in our own communities while serving and loving each other, you know, yeah. but also like being able to, to do it through the means of, of business, because I think business is one of the most generous things you can do for a city. It sets the tone of streets, neighborhoods, it creates products and services and jobs, you know, and that's not talked about enough. Wow. Yes, you're right. I mean, one of my uh, friends who's a, a, a sort of a prophetic speaker in conferences, they came to the conclusion that the real fruit of revival would be the end of systemic poverty. Yeah. In other words, like we can't think of revival, you know, as just an internal passion issue or churches growing or even souls coming to Christ, although those are all important. But mm -hmm. the fact is, is that ultimately there needs to be a grassroots impact in the overall well-being of any community. Mm -hmm. That's why I love the fact that you're doing what you're doing because you're actually modeling that. And I, I know that your model is not just for you and it's not just for the 36 counties you're in. Yeah. I believe it's a model that can be at least imitated at some level in every community around the United States, around the, the Western world and even beyond. And so I just want to say how, how if, if, if you had a vision for something like this, where would you start? Like, you know, just speaking to the average person who's hearing this podcast and saying, wow, this inspires me. What, what would be the first step? Yeah, I would say start asking around for what people are dreaming about. And that's like the most basic thing you can do, because you will be absolutely surprised what people are thinking about and, and what what they're seeing through their lens. because you might not have seen it yourself. Um, and then oftentimes you either know of a resource or know of a person you can connect them with. Because I truly believe that the church should be the most connected body in the entire world, you know? And, um, you know, and it's so simple to even start like at your own home, just invite people to your home for a dinner and just say, let's talk about ideas and let's throw in our own $5 and maybe the micro grants only 25 or $30, but yes. that's a start to invest in people, you know? Um, and that idea sharing and that peer to peer learning networks are so vital to the development of people. 
Plus, when you're in a community, you also develop yourself. I can't tell you, I mean, how much James and I have developed just through the aspect of serving our own community. We're not the same people that we were 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and like, personally, like, I would love to see for, you know, because there's so many, there's a huge church planting movement happening, right, in, in the U.S. and all over. I think that should be a part of the strategic focus for every church plant. There should be three or four business plants as well alongside, mm. running alongside. That's, um, so that's how, how these things typically grow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I know that when Michael was a, a new believer in his late teens, he joined a ministry called Gospel Outreach, and they had businesses within the church. Yeah. And he learned how to do vinyl repair where they could go in to a very mm. expensive car lot, repair a leather seat. They charged $300, but that was cheap for the dealership or because the, they would have had to spend 3000 on that seat. And um, they developed character consistency in the young people and then eventually michael bought that business and that funded our ministry in the in our beginning days and i think that it's it's a it's a model that is easily doable but it's just becoming something that people are aware of and as i mentioned before the idea of the sacred and the secular. Well, what we do at church is sacred. What we do outside of church is secular. When actual, actually we're made in the image of God and what we do in our day-to-day -day lives represents God. And so why not bring that, if you're a mom at home, be a priest in your own home unto your children. Mm -hmm. And if you're in the business world, do the same if you're a teacher. And I, I believe that this is the beginning of a reformation in these areas that business becomes also sacred yeah. because business mm -hmm. people are also the people that have the funding to be able to support missions and entrepreneurial services. And so um, that we, we got somehow into this mindset that they need to be separate has actually not been beneficial, mm -hmm. but um, I know leaders all around the world are very open to change and um, ministries and pastors and churches are usually really underfunded. And I think that this is also one of the reasons for that. There's a mutual symbiosis and mutual benefit that needs to take place by all of us getting out of financial insecurity and instability and into a stable place so that we can affect uh, people's lives and the economies of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Now let me, let me uh, steer you in one more question. I, I like, you know, the, about half of our audience are pastors mm -hmm. and yeah. the other half are marketplace leaders, people doing something similar to what you're doing or people that are involved in different aspects of missions or, or revival ministry of different kinds. Um, what would you say to pastors? In other words, most pastors are kind of like struggling under the tyranny of the urgent. They have their budgets, they have their, their buildings, they have their programs. And most pastors are like a little bit overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. But then when they hear something like what you guys are talking about with Flint Soup, they just say, wow, I wish I had 100 people like you in my church. Mm -hmm. How can a pastor facilitate what you're doing and help to really uh, put wind in your sails if, if they encounter people like you? 
what should the pastor be thinking? What should he be doing? Mm -hmm. Sure. I, th I think the answer is quite simple. Um, you know, when it comes to, you know, a pastor saying, oh, I wish there was like 100 people, you know, like that in my church. My answer is actually you do. You do have those people. <laughs> you know, you, right. you just haven't asked the question. Right. Wow. Um, and like, I can't tell you how many believers um, engage with us also in Flint Soup as well. And it's shocking to me to hear that they've been sitting on these ideas for six, seven, eight, ten years. Mm. Um, and I, but I think they, they were like me when I was little. I was telling James this earlier too. We, we, we talk about stuff all the time. Like, I think for me, you know, having the inclination towards business, but not being able to articulate exactly what I was longing, like that apostolic, the gifting, you know, um, nobody could articulate that for me. But like, I, I was waiting for my pastor to give me permission in the way that I needed to hear it. And over time, I just realized that that wasn't going to happen, right? In the way that I needed to hear it. Yeah. And so, um, I think a lot of people are in that place or they don't feel like that they have the support, you know, because their community is the church community and that's the, their primary community. And they don't have connections maybe outside to the economic service support providers that help support that. Even just getting to know your service support providers in your own local community to help bridge that gap would be incredibly beneficial. Oh. We're also seeing in other denominations, it just blew my mind. Uh, I was talking to this one guy, James and I were, and I said, oh, so you're a pastor at your church. Well, what are you the family life pastor or are, you know, are you the associate pastor? And he laughed and he said, no, I'm the business pastor. I was like, you're the what? Oh. You know? And yeah. He's, like, well, yeah. he's like, and he has an MBA and he's also, he has a pastoral as well. Um wow. And uh, he said, well, majority of my congregation works or is business people. So I actually disciple them, but I could also help them with their business plan and their cash flow in the same time because wow. that pops up quite a bit. So wow. uh, there's a lot of different denominations that are doing really innovative things within their congregation so, just to be able to be a supportive service. And I thought that was amazing. That's so good. And that's one of the things that we're trying to create and trusting the Lord for within Leaders Alliance, because yeah. um, so often we have to reinvent the wheel. We expect in that scenario, most people expect the pastor to know everything and be sure. able to equip everyone in every position. Mm -hmm. We're in a biblical framework. He's supposed to equip others to be pastors. Yeah. And what you're talking about, an apostolic vision, which is um, the oversight, the blueprint, all of that often is contained within the business people within our fellowship. Yeah. And they can have um, greater vision for our church, but also equipping others within the business community. So within Leaders Alliance, we're opening up the grid and um, we're trying to create a sense of like LinkedIn in a spiritual dynamic where we can um, come to a local site, get involved on whatever level we want in community, but we can, we can view like 
like what happened with you and Mike Frank this morning. It's like mm-hmm. a major business community person saying, I'll help you. And um, I just believe it's not only us trying to do this, but like you said, ministries around the world are saying, why, why isn't what we've done and the model we've used in the past working by and large in a, in, in a more powerful way? And so people are looking for tools and answers. And I honestly see what you guys doing as a prototype, like in a global way, like um, let's do Michigan and then there's 50 more states and then there's continents and, you know, (laughs) because uh, what you, what you're experiencing is so valuable in a very large scale. Excellent. Well, we need to wrap up, you guys, and we could just be talking about this we stuff could. all day long. But um, James, any final words that you have to the listener who's on today and saying, wow, I'm inspired, but I don't know what to do. Maybe a pastor who's saying, I know I have 100 people in my church right now, but I don't know how to mobilize them. Any thoughts you have about that as we wrap up? And then obviously, Adrian, we want to hear from you as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where where I started, um, being one of the hundred people in the congregation and being blessed enough to be under a pastor who recognized that and then empowered me to go and uh, live my dream, see that dream and that destiny come come into play. Um, just the kingdom of God is waiting to break into the lives of each person that you're meeting. Um, and I'm becoming more and more and more aware of it. Um, the, the more and more and more uh, we we work with people from so many different ranges and backgrounds. Like it, every single time, there's a moment to not just say, "Can I can I pray for you?" or "Oh, I, I hear that's going on in your life." Like the Spirit of God is ready and waiting to to give you that word and say, "Hey, I can't tell you how many times we said, hey, there's something on your face r- right now. I can see the pain. Like, uh, yeah. can we pray for you? Can we lay hands? Like in the middle of Panera Bread and they say, what have you done to me? Oh, it's gone, the pain. Um, it's, it, and people awesome. notice that. And um, I've become aware of it. In every single conversation we have, the, spirit, the, the kingdom of God is just ready to break into somebody's life in a way that they've never seen it before. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then it, it, it adds proof. It adds the, the truth to what you had just been sharing with them. And, and it just it grows from there. I, that, that would be my encouragement. That's beautiful. Is. Beautifully said. And that is the wedding of the supernatural and the super practical. together. Mm -hmm. So Adrian, final thoughts from you. Yeah. You know, when it comes to, you know, pastors, like I would just say, really listen to what people are thinking about and talking about. Cause most often you can really identify who's thinking big picture and quickly identify like what's really on the hearts and minds of the people that you're engaging. Um, And you know, what, what they're thinking about, or even just simply ask. I mean, for us, we we're always asking, it's like, what have you been thinking about? Or what have you been, or just asking, like, teach me something new. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't, you would be so surprised what people are talking about or teaching themselves. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you're actually creating a new dish or actually you, you're playing around with programming and you, you're developing a new technology. Talk to me more about this. So that teach me something new always really highlights uh, passion. 
Amen. So well, one of our, you know, as we as we wrap up, I just want you to know, Leaders Alliance exists to foster your dream. It, it, it exists to actually provide an environment within which, like a greenhouse within which the dreams and the seeds of God's guidance in your life can grow and prosper. And so we want to invite you to actually tune in, you know, subscribe to our, our YouTube, but also, you know, really consider becoming a member and joining us because we're meeting every week. We're providing amazing speakers just like uh, Adrian and James. And we're, we're ultimately our passion is to ignite the body of Christ in every different sphere to be the representers of Jesus in this world around us in a powerful way. So please consider joining us. Uh, Adrian, could you just close with a word of prayer and just release a blessing on everybody listening, and then we'll end our call. Sure. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for this time with Leaders Alliance and every single member that had been on the call and the leadership that's leading this incredible um, movement. Lord, I just pray that you just give us wisdom as we go into the weeks ahead. And Lord, highlight people that are all around us that are dreaming of new ways to impact people, love, you know, their cities in, in a new and tangible and deeper way. And God, give us the resources and people to connect with, to move down that continuum. Yeah. I ask this in, in your name, Jesus. And, and I thank you for all the good things um, that, that you're bestowing upon us in this season. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, thank you, James. Thank, thank you, you, Adrian. So good to have you on this call. Thank you and so uh, much. God bless everything you're doing. Thank you.